Well, good morning, everybody. How you doing? We've got people smiling. We've got people praying. We've got people talking. I like it. I hope you all are doing well. Um, we're going to jump in this morning and uh, take the message that I shared last week and the message that was um, started about three weeks ago by Curtis Coy a little bit further. Um, a couple of weeks ago, Curtis had shared this idea of not growing weary in, in doing good, and that's obviously a command of the Christian, don't grow weary in doing good. Um, the next step was how to not grow weary in doing good. Uh, I shared with you guys uh, last week that if somebody tells you to calm down, that doesn't make you calm down, does it, right? The first thing that you think is, <laughs> shut up. Anyway, right? And then the next thing you think is, please tell me how I'm supposed to calm down, right? And so how to calm down or how to, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm still in the calm down phase. Anyway, how to not grow weary in doing good. And then this, this morning, I want to talk to you about a step that takes us further, which is that one of the components of not growing weary and doing good is that we desperately need encouragement. How many of you would say that you need encouragement in your life? How many of you would also say that you don't get enough encouragement in your life? Yeah. I, it's, it's not a shameful thing to say yes, you feel like you don't get enough encouragement. Uh, last week I shared with you the hows uh, fall along these lines. Number one, we need to understand what God's vision is for us in our life. If we're going to not grow weary in doing good, we need to know how he sees us. We need to understand that we're image bearers and we need to also understand that we are in fact God's workmanship. We'll talk about that a little bit more today. We are God's workmanship created in in Christ Jesus for good works. There is a purpose for us, and when we have purpose, we feel like we can keep moving forward. Uh, this is really important for everybody, no matter what phase of life, no matter what area of life you're in. If you feel you have a purpose, if you feel you have a vision, you can move forward. And as the scripture tells us very clearly, without vision, people perish. This, again, is, is a transcendent truth. It, it flows through many things. So, we need to understand God's vision. We need to understand that the word that we are image bearers. We understand that we are God's workmanship. The second thing that we needed to remember was the company we keep. And it's not just uh, the, list of, of, or the list of faithful followers in Hebrews 11, right? We do keep great company with that. But the scripture goes even further in the book of Hebrews to tell us that Jesus himself endured the shame of the cross so that... His purpose in enduring that shame was so that we would not grow weary in doing good. In other words, when we look to our King, when we look to our Savior, and we see the fact that He went even to a cross, He bled and He died so that we might have life, even though it was filled with shame, He had a joy, a greater joy that was set before Him, which is the redemption of people, we can understand, we can press forward. So we have him as our example. So number one, we understand God's vision or we remember God's vision. Number two, we remember the company that we, we keep, including Jesus. Uh, the third thing was uh, to remember the reward that is set before us. How many of you know that there is a, a reaping of the harvest, right? There is something that we are rewarded with. And it's not antithetical to Christianity to seek after a reward, I told you guys last time, the kind of pious Christianity concept that says, you know, if you just follow God for the reward, you're not a real Christian. It's just nonsense. 
nonsense. We all follow God and we expect a reward. Some of that reward is his presence, his fellowship, his life with us. But uh, much of that reward includes life eternal. Much of that, lo- uh, 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 that reward includes provision and no more pain and no more suffering, no more tears, all of the things that we read in the book of Revelation. So we need to remember the reward set before us. But the, the third or the fourth thing that we talked about, which was uh, how to not grow weary in doing good, was this idea of encouraging one another and the desperate need that we have for encouragement. One of the passages that we used in this was uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. Here's what Hebrews 10, 24 says. And let us consider how to stimulate one another on, to, or one another to love and good deeds. How do we further one another on towards this? What does this verse tell us? Number one, we need stimulated to keep moving forward. We know that we grow weary. We understand that we struggle in all of the areas of life, but that we need stimulation in order to move forward. And this verse tells us something very important, and that is that I need you to stimulate me in moving forward, and you need me, and we need each other in all things. How many of you know that community is the only way that you can remain encouraged? How many of you know that? You can look at yourself in the mirror all day long and tell yourself you're smart enough, you're good enough, and doggone it, people like you, but it doesn't ever help. It doesn't ever help. It doesn't matter how much you do it right? I've tried. I look in the mirror. I write things on. I don't do any of this crap anyway, but, but you can do this stuff, right? And it's not going to help. But if you have a brother or a sister in Christ, if you have somebody who's close to you that says, listen, I know your personality. I know your likes. I know your dislikes. I know the things that drive you crazy. I know the things that wear you out. Hey, I'm here to help you in those times. I'm here to push you forward. We need to spur one another on or stimulate one another to love and good deeds. So we are called in this to encourage one another. But what I want to do is I want to take today and I want to look at uh, several examples in the scripture as case studies, if you will, for how to encourage one another. And you're going to find out that this encouragement is far different than what we often do or what we often see. I've shared this for many years. There is a difference between encouragement, building courage into someone, and complimenting them, right? I've got my buddy back in the back, Kevin, who's a part of our jujitsu gym. Yes, Mark is cheering him on. I can tell, I can tell this man he's a good-looking guy all day long. That doesn't matter. But if I tell him he's getting better at jujitsu, he'll be happy, right? He's not, but if I told him that, he would, <laughs> he'd be happy. That's awesome. He's going to make me pay for it the next time we're together, so it's really good. But it's, it's really important. We need each other. We need to push each other. We need to spur one another on. So we're going to look at a couple of these. The first couple of examples are what I would call uh, basic types of, uh, of encouragement, basic types of edification or strengthening or whatever. So we're going to start with 1 Corinthians, and we'll just kind of walk through this, guys. And I want, you to, I want you to look these up in your scriptures. I want you to highlight things, underline things, take notes if things are, are helpful to you. So here's where Paul starts in this great letter to the Corinthians. Paul Called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, 
to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who are in every place, call on his name, the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Now we're just going to stop at this really quick because this is really important. There is a ton of encouragement right there in Paul's greeting, but we often overlook it. And some of this is just that reminder, not just that you're an image bearer, but the position you hold in Jesus's life, in Jesus's kingdom, in Jesus's way, right? So look at this. It says, to those who have been sanctified. You know what's true of you? You have been sanctified. If you confess Jesus is Lord, you have been sanctified. You're going, Nathan, hold on a second. Haven't you told us in the, in the past that sanctification is a process of becoming more like Jesus? Yes. And it's a moment. There's a process and there's a moment. We have been sanctified because the idea of sanctification is like the idea of holiness and righteousness. It is an idea of being set apart. You have been sanctified. You have been set apart. Now, how many of you struggle with feeling like you have been set apart at times? Come on. How many of you would say, there's some days I don't even feel like a Christian? That might be true. true. No, I'm just saying, right? Wait, this is a hard thing. We struggle with this because we look at our life, we look at our behaviors, we look at the way we're supposed to be, and then we go, gosh, I fall short in every way right? Am I the only one? (laughs) Right? We feel like we fall short in every way, but Paul, writing to the Corinthians, and anybody who knows the story of the Corinthians, anybody who knows this history, understands that this church was in many ways a mess, and yet he is willing to say this to these people, you have been sanctified. And then he goes on, he says, you, those who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, he's your Lord and ours. It's, it's, this belongs to you, guys. So one of the best ways that you can encourage one another is to actually acknowledge that you are who you claim to be. If you claim to be a Christian, if you put your faith and your trust in Jesus, this is who you are. You are one who has been sanctified. You are one who belongs to my Lord, who is also yours. I think that that is a very powerful thing. But the church gets it wrong today. The church loves to play games with this. And the church loves to say, well, listen, if you really are a Christian, we'll see. How many of you know that? How many of you have experienced that? It's really frustrating. Well, if they really are a Christian, Paul is willing to tell a people that are a royal mess, you are sanctified. Shouldn't he qualify that better? Shouldn't he actually look at every individual member and say, well, I'm not so sure about Bob, right? Sorry, Bob. (laughs) It's just the name that came to my mind, right? So, right? I'm not so sure about Bob. No. He simply says, you are these people, right? So look at what he goes on to say. Verse 3. Keep going. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus. Past tense. It was given to you. That in everything you were enriched in him. (laughs) I don't always feel enriched in everything in him. But it's true. 
It's true. You were enriched in him in everything, in all speech. This is what the everything is comprised of. In all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you. So the way we talk, the way we know things, all of this is evidence that we are who we claim to be. Right? And when you see somebody who's walking and talking it, one of your greatest, greatest forms of encouragement is to tell them, you have been sanctified and I see it. You have been sanctified and I see it. But here's the issue. You have to actually spend time with people in order to notice it. Don't you? So this nonsense about Lone Ranger Christianity, this nonsense about, well, I can just be with Jesus, it's between me and God and nobody else, that is nonsense. It's a lie. And the devil loves this because almost any predator loves this. And that is get you isolated and then attack. This is not, it's not rocket science here, guys. Get you isolated and then attack. So move you away from those people. But we need each other. And we need to be able to observe these things in each other's lives. Right? We need each other. That's all there is to it. So let's go on. Verse 7. So that you are not lacking in any gift, right? So all of these things have been given to you. So that you're not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's still more. There's always going to be more. Who will also confirm you to the end. You know one really important encouragement for the Christian is that this all doesn't hinge on you. Isn't that an important thing? Yeah. Who's going to confirm it to the end? Nathan. No. I'm going to confirm it for about three steps and then screw the thing up, right? But Jesus is going to confirm it to the end. So if you want to encourage people, what would you do? Wouldn't you love to hear that somebody's with you? That somebody's working for you? That they're your advocate? That they're your hero? That they're your king? Wouldn't you like that? See, when I was growing up... um, I was fortunate. I was, I've been fortunate all my life. There's, there's never been an issue for me in my life. I've been blessed. I've been well taken care of. That's how you get this big. Anyway, so I've been well taken care of, and my mom and dad were really good encouragers. Now, I'm going to zoom in on my dad just for a second, but uh, my mom and dad were really good encouragers, but my dad was one of these practical encouragers in that If we wanted to do something, if we wanted to build something, if we wanted to blow something up, dad would say, we can do it, right? Now, you might not think that that's encouragement, but that's encouragement. We can do it. And here's why it's encouragement. Number one, it's an acknowledgement that something can be done. That's encouraging. Number two, I'm included in that, which means I can accomplish something. But number three, he says, we always, all my life, we can do this to worry about uh, leaving my side, never had to worry about being with me in whatever I did, my dad. I mean, that meant we both got in trouble by my mom, but, but we, we all did it, right? You know, we did this together. Like we did this death sled that my dad built for me, right? And uh, he tried to kill me. It was really amazing. And then my mom yelled at him. No, but, but we, did, we did all kinds of stuff. It was amazing. It was encouraging to me to have somebody walk beside me. I want to be that for my daughters. I want to always let them know that I'm with them. The Christian life has to be the same. We do have Jesus, but we definitely need each other. Amen? 
right? My brother's negotiating how I almost died back there with my mom. But anyway, so it's all good. Okay, so we, we keep going. So this is 1 Corinthians 1, 7 through 9. What's the next passage we have up here? Ephesians 1, 15 through 17. Look at what Paul says to this church. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, or your faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints. How many of you know to connect faith with love for all the saints? How many of you know to connect faith with action in your life? Faith is not this. Faith is not, I hope all of this is true. Faith is something that has feet. Faith has action with it, right? And so he says, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, which which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. How many of you feel encouraged when somebody's actually praying for you? There's another form of encouragement, and it's a biblical form of encouragement. You don't have to make this stuff up, guys. You don't have to create weird ideas. Uh, That whole idea of striving to spur one another on or looking for ways to spur one another on, here's where I suggest you look first. The Bible. I suggest you just search the scripture because it is filled with examples of how you can do it. Right? Be with people. Show them who they are in Christ. Tell them you're praying for them. Constantly walk these things out with people. This is really important for encouragement. So, your faith, your love for all the saints, I've seen it and I'm praying for you constantly. That's what Paul says to the churches in this area. It goes on. Uh, after this, 18 and 19, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? You know what's fascinating about Paul's words here? He knows things that maybe his hearer doesn't. He knows that there is a will to be known. He knows that there is a calling to be had. He knows that there are riches and glory of God's inheritance that is for them. He knows that. And to tell people those things, again, that's the reward. To tell people those things changes everything. You need to know it's there. There are riches that await you. Now, I'm not talking Creflo dollar crap. I'm not talking all this weird nonsense, right? I'm not saying sow your seed and something will return to you. What I am saying is that God's God's riches, God's wealth, God's abundance is for his people, and it knows no end. It knows no end, church. And it awaits you, if you'll remember, or if you'll be reminded. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And that inheritance in the saints is fascinating, speaking to community as well. And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? My dad was there with me when we would do things, and he was always the the big guy. He was always the hero. But God's power is surpassingly great, and he's always with you. That's encouraging. That's encouraging. This is how you encourage one another. Tell each other who they are in Christ. Tell each other what God has in store for them. And tell them they're not alone. Both you're there and God is with them. And he'll never leave you nor forsake you. Ephesians goes on. 20 and 23. 
which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So this surpassing power is the same power that raises Christ from the dead and he's also the one who wants to give you all these things. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. How encouraging is it for us to hear that the God of the universe, who has the name which is above every other name, is the one that's in charge? How many of you get shook up when you think about American politics? How many of you are lying right now? It's great. It's awesome, right? You get shook up with American politics. You get frustrated this way and you get frustrated that way. Here is the thing that should transcend all of your political opinions. King Jesus is on the throne. He wins. It's the truth and it's just hard for us to believe because what we would rather do is just get mad at a guy in the Oval Office, right? King Jesus is on the throne. Look at this. All authority and rule all power and dominion, every name which is named, nothing is above him in this age and in the age to come. When's that stop? Never. Awesome. And he put all things in subjection under his feet, Jesus' feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is encouragement for you. Your king is ruling. Your king is atop everything. So Ephesians goes on, Ephesians chapter 2, I believe, verses 1 through 3. And you were dead. Guess what you're not now? Guess what you're not now? Dead. It's really important. Contrary to other churches and other schools of thought, you are not a dead sinner, you're not a heathen, you're not all these things. You once were dead, you are alive in Christ. That's encouraging to me. Because I don't have to worry about uh, just living according to that past. I'm something different now. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked. How many of you are saying amen to that right now? (laughs) You better be, right? But that's a hard thing. Because let's take just a small detour. How many of you still sin? Shame on you. No, <laughs> that's, yes, all of us, right? We, we all sin, we all fall short of the glory of God. And yet, I formerly walked according to those ways. What is the significance of this wording? Paul is talking about a path that you choose, right? And if you are walking a path of sin, it's a trajectory in your life, it's a way of doing it. But it doesn't mean that's your way now. You still mess up, you still trip and fall, we all make mistakes, but it's not your path any longer, right? The way you formerly walked is gone. You've turned around, but even in turning around, we make mistakes. Isn't that right? Absolutely every one of us. So, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And since you're not those people, you're not the sons or daughters of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived. Do you notice the tenses here? 
all of this past tense stuff in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desire of the flesh and of the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. So let's take all that past tense stuff, and then let's look at this. Who were by nature children of wrath were. You're not by nature that. You are by nature a son and a daughter of King Jesus. You have been born again. Amen? Whatever we understand that fully to mean, you are that. You walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh. You walk by faith and not by sight. These are the things that you're called to. And each one of us have them, and it's such a powerful thing. So Paul goes on after this. Verse 4. But God... (laughs) It's the greatest lines in Scripture, right? But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. You need to see this in its totality. The things that you formerly were, you're not. And the reason why you're not is Jesus, okay? That's what you need to take away from Ephesians 1 and 2. You don't need to take obscure theological ideas that people read into the text. Instead, what God is saying through the Apostle Paul is you were a mess and I cleaned you up. There's the lesson, right? But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. We are alive. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Look what he goes on to say. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship. This is where you understand Ephesians 2 properly, right? You understand Ephesians 2 properly when you understand you were a mess walking according to the pattern of the world. Jesus came and corrected you and fixed it all, right? By grace through faith. And this entire verse simply means this. It's not a result of something you did. It's a result of something that he did for you. Amen? That's it. This is not some theological treatise on how we understand who's doing what. It's not that. The point is just Paul saying Jesus came and did it. Jesus came and did it. And why did he do it? Because he's merciful. And he loves you. He loves you passionately and deeply. And yet, what do we do with these verses? We get all kinds of things read into them and confused, right? There's faith and there's works and all of that is some sort of gift of God. And You can't even believe in Jesus unless God makes you to believe. You're reading stupid crap into the Bible. What you need to understand is you couldn't do it. Jesus came. Now you win. Amen? It really is that simple. It really is that simple. So we are his workmanship. Who was the one who did the work? He did. We are his workmanship, not my workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. We're not only his work, but we're created to do more work. That's what image bearers do, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Each and every one of us is called to this. So, guys, there is an amazing amount of encouragement that comes when you look at people and you say to them, you were made for what God's plan is. You were made for it, and Jesus did it, and don't worry about your mess, because you were formerly that, and now you're not. 
Is that not encouraging? Especially when we wake up every morning and we go, I don't really feel much like Jesus today. I don't feel like I do good. I don't feel like he even loves me. Well, he does. He does immensely. He does immensely. Let's go to Philippians. Philippians 1.6. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ. Is that not encouraging? He started it. He'll finish it. It's really encouraging. How many of you would find it encouraging if it said, he began the work, but you better finish it? That would be awful. Better question. How many of you have felt that way? That the church has taught you or that you were raised understanding, Jesus started it, but you better wrap it up. How many of you felt that way? I better get it right. Because if I don't get it right, that's it. He's booting me to the curb. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says he who began the work is going to carry it on. Because you were, and now you're not. Something different altogether. I believe the next passage is from Philippians as well, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 2. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, any affection and compassion, I want you to see this as the way Paul writes and how he understands things. You can read these. They, they mean unique things. That's fine. But look at what Paul is saying. Encouragement, consolation of love, fellowship in the Spirit, affection and compassion. If there's any of that... And encouragement's at the head. If there's encouragement, make my joy complete by being of the what? Same mind. You know what is truly encouraging to a pastor and to a leader? Unity. That is what is encouraging. But when there's dissension and backbiting and fighting and all people judging everyone's intentions and all these side conversations that are hush-hush and you don't want people to overhear you, when that kind of stuff happens, trust me when I say, it becomes very burdensome for the people that lead you. How many parents do we have in the room? Parents. How awesome is it when your kids are grumbling silently in the other room but you, of course, have eagle ears, right? Silently in the other room about how awful you are as a parent. I've got four daughters. They've already started, right? Mainly it's about Sarah, but it's okay. (laughs) I'm teasing completely, right? Right? They're complaining. That grumbling discourages you. I've had many conversations with Sarah where the, the conversation goes something like this. I feel like a bad parent. I feel like I'm awful. I feel like I don't do anything right. Can I get any amens here, parents? Right? I feel like I'm screwing everything up. Do you realize what a pastor and a teacher feels like when those things happen? Make no mistake. I wear it heavy, guys. It's a struggle. Because I want you all to do well. But if I don't see unity, if I don't see the same mind, if I don't see the same love, and I, if I don't see unity of the Spirit or intent on one purpose, division, discord, and chaos, you know who wants to take a real long vacation and never return? <laughs> every pastor. Every pastor. Now listen, this isn't a me jumping up on a soapbox to yell at you. This is me telling you how important it is for you to get along with each other and for you to get along with your leaders, and them to get along with you. It is so important 
Because otherwise, it's just as frustrating as a parent listening to their kids. They go, I guess I suck at this. I guess I'm awful at this, right? And that's what we feel. All of these are practical ways that we can encourage each other. Live a life of unity. Live a life praying for one another. Show people that you're with them. Encourage them of who they are in Christ and not who they once were, but who they are now. Show them that Jesus is walking with them. Show them and teach them that the guy who began the good work, he's going to carry it on until the end. These are the ways you encourage each other. But just telling somebody, hey, great job. It's just not enough. It's just not enough. Because great job in today's culture is almost the same as Christians saying, I'll pray for you. We all know you're not praying for anybody. Right? We all know that that's a nice pious response for things. But will you pray? Will you actually go into depth on, hey, you're doing a good job and here's what I see. Paul did it. I see your faith and here's what I see in your faith. Your love for one another. Such a beautiful thing, right? All of this is part and parcel to what encouragement looks like. First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians 1, 2 through 5. We give thanks to God always for all of you. <laughs> That's amazing. Paul doesn't qualify this, though. We give thanks to God always for all of you. Except for Bob Briggs every once in a while, right? No, no, Bob's included in this, right? Right? We give thanks for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith. Thank you, guys. Thank you for all of the work that you put in to not only this church, but to your families and the lives around you. Thank you for what you do. I see those things. I'm encouraged by those things. Keep doing it. It's what Paul says to them. It's what I will say to you. Your work of faith and your labor of love. Where is Roger today, Miss Beth? He's working. That's, that figures. Roger and Beth have like made sure this church has been clean for eons of time. And it's been awesome because it's also been like pulling teeth to get people to want to help with that, hasn't it been, right? And so it's, it's a challenge sometimes to get people to pitch in like that. But what do I see? I see a labor of love and steadfast hope, <laughs> right? The hope is that somebody will finally give in. <laughs> but I see a labor of love and I thank you for it. It's a really awesome thing, all that you guys do. Every one of you serves in some capacity, yeah, give her a hand. That's awesome. That's how encouragement works. Thank you for your labor of love. This is what your labor of love is. I appreciate it. We appreciate it. It's important, guys. Steadfast love in our hope, in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the presence of our God and Father, knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you for our gospel did not come to you in word only. I love that phrase because there's strange ways that you tend to read these passages. And it's amazing that the word of God did not come to them. The gospel did not come to them in word only. It actually came in power, but it came and it transformed them and they came in power right? The gospel transformed the people that heard it, and the people who deliver it came in power. That's a very powerful idea, using the word too many times. It's really important that what we do, right? So, it did not come in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. Who was the conviction under? 
both those who deliver it and those who believed it, right? Just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. So you have conviction just like we had conviction, just like the people that we are. It's really, really cool when we start to see all of these things play out. Verses 6 through 9, I believe, 6 through 8. You also became imitators of us. So we did all these things, and what do you do? You imitate us. That's an encouragement. Hey, you know what? I see a lot of what uh, your teachers have taught you in you. That's awesome. That should be encouragement to you, right? You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. How many of you would love to know that your life is actually being observed in a good way by those who come behind you? You're an example to them. You're a mentor to them. We all want that. Paul is saying to the Thessalonians, they did it. You want to encourage somebody? If you see that level of faithfulness, tell them about it. Tell them about it. Because it will move them forward. You are an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything. Faithfulness, rendering a preacher speechless. (laughs) That's, never mind, I'm not going to go there. Okay, right? Verses 9 and 10. Verses 9 and 10. For they themselves report about us what kind of a reputation we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. These are the people that you've become. Amen? You've become a people who have turned from idols to serve a living and true God. And when people point that out in your life, it's encouraging. I used to know this guy. He was a neighbor of mine. And he was a complete and total heathen. He never did, he never did anything that even resembled God. He didn't like God. I don't even think he liked his wife. That was Jerry Kluss. No, I was, I'm, I'm teasing, right? But Jerry was this guy who was just average everyday guy. He's just going to work, doing his stuff. And then his wife pestered the snot out of him. He came to church one day. He's been here ever since. And Jerry, I have to say, I see more and more Jesus in you every day. I see more and more of that, not only in your attitude and in your communication, but I see it in your willingness to help and to serve other people. I see it in the fact that you bring into your house a young girl that needs somebody to love her, right? Needs a a father and a mother, somebody to come there and to walk beside her. This is a huge deal. You guys lose hope about the people in your life. You lose hope about the people that you've invited to church but won't come. Just look. It happens. And when it happens, there's faithfulness that follows it and there's joy that comes of it. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so let's wrap this up by talking about... um, Something important that I find in Joshua chapter 1. This is in the Old Testament, right after the first five books of the Bible. Now it came out about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people 
to the land which I am giving to them, the sons of Israel. And look at this church. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you, just as I spoke to Moses. Now you're going to see that this was literal encouragement for Joshua in the next few verses. But what you need to connect as the encouragement is the restating of the promises of God. Because what God says happens. His word does not return void. And God said to Moses, I will give you all of this. And then when Moses dies, it is a continuation. It's a multi-generational thing, right? And when Moses dies and Joshua takes over, he says, every place that you're foot treads, I've given it to you, just as I told Moses before. Some of the greatest encouragement that we as Christians can hear is to restate what the Bible says to us. I am redeemed. I am saved. Jesus is returning. I don't have to worry about death, right? We need to hear these promises. I am given abundant things. I am a blessed individual. It doesn't always have to be in physical earthly blessings. But I am a blessed individual. All of this is true. And we need to remind each other of the promises. So verse 4 goes on. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and as far as the great sea towards the setting of the sun, will be your territory. Encouragement 1. I'm giving it to you. Encouragement two, no man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Listen, if you're going into a foreign country, if you're going into a foreign land where you don't know what's happening, I'm telling you, fear is going to overtake you of the inhabitants there. And God goes, it's not going to do anything to you. Don't worry. You're untouchable. No one will stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. You want to encourage one another? Remind each other of this. God will not fail you. He will not forsake you. Keep walking. Amen? Keep walking. It will happen. Be strong and courageous. Do you notice that Joshua doesn't do what we thought Paul did? Paul doesn't either, but we thought Paul did. He doesn't just state this. Be strong and courageous. Be encouraged. That doesn't encourage anybody. Again, it's just like calm down. It doesn't work. Be strong and courageous is in light of the things that he already did to encourage you and make you strong. You're going to have everything I promised. Nobody's going to touch you. And I'm never going to forsake you or leave you. Then he says, as a response to that, be strong and courageous for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Next verse. Verse 7 Uh, And then we'll do eight and nine for a how here. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that, listen church, so that you may have success. How many of you want to be successful? How many of you want to be successful? I'm going to wait until you all be honest and raise your daggone hands. How many of you want to be successful? You know what the passage tells you? Do it God's way. How many of you want to be successful? Do it God's way. Do it God's way. This is an encouragement. I want you, Jerry, to be successful. Do it God's way. You can do it. We can do it. I'll walk beside you. That's encouragement, church. That's how this works. So as we wrap this up today, as we, as we finish out, get ready for communion, I want you guys to know that 
we are called, we are told not to grow weary. We are given many of the hows to this. We are told to remember the things that God has done, both his vision for us in our lives, the company we keep, and the rewards that lie before us. We are also told to encourage one another, and active biblical encouragement is what's going to help you not grow weary. So what I want you to do, I want to challenge you this week. I want to challenge you to put this message into practice. And I want you to think of five people in your life. And listen, I'm not telling you to give them a compliment. You heard me, right? I want you to think of five people in your life. I want you to observe something about them that you can build courage into them concerning. And I want you to encourage them. I want you to encourage them. And then I'd also like you to do this. One of those five people, let it be somebody that is a a member of this church. Let it be somebody who worships with you on Sunday morning, okay? Encourage at least five people, not compliment them, encourage at least five people this week and make one of those part of the body that you worship with. Can you do that for me? Can you do that for me? You guys are like, I'm, I'm still wanting to get to Skyline here, right? Can you do that for me? You can do it. You can do it. And here's why it's so important. Because the people around you need you to do it. We are, we are oftentimes, church, we are dying on the vine because we don't want to keep going. We don't want to press on because we don't think it's worth it. And yet, one word One encouragement comes to you and all of a sudden you're like, okay, I can do it again. I can press forward. So I want to encourage you to encourage people, okay? You can do it. If you struggle with it, call me. I'll help you with it, okay? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for the blessings that you have given to your church. And by those blessings, I not only mean your son, I not only mean your spirit, and all that you have done for us. But I mean, Lord, the very people that are in this room, thank you for the blessings of each and every person here. Thank you for the work that they do. Thank you for the care that they offer. Thank you for the the faith that they display in their lives. Thank you for each and every one of them. Help us, Lord, as we go out today to be encouragers, and especially to those of the household of faith. Help us, Lord, in all that we do. In Jesus' great name.